The Nonprofit Podcast, powered by DonorBox. What if you could get in front of two or three times more donors with the right ask at the right time? What would that do to your fundraising performance this year? Welcome to the Nonprofit Podcast. I'm Kara, fundraising coach at DonorBox. We are here each week with practical actions you can use today to increase donations and take your nonprofit to the next level tomorrow. And this week, I'm joined again by Sean Olds, the co-founder and chief executive officer of Boodle AI, a leading software platform that uses AI to empower nonprofits and help them connect with and engage new donors and supporters. So Sean, welcome back to the Nonprofit Podcast for what has become a two-part series all about using artificial intelligence to help navigate the ins and outs of understanding our organization's donors. Kara, I appreciate you and your listeners putting up with me for a second week. <laughs> well, I know I learned a lot. And last week, you shared some ways that AI is helping fundraisers. And you also helped me get past some general anxiety of introducing AI to a fundraising strategy. And we ended that conversation by talking about using AI to get in front of potential donors, which made me want to talk more about prospect research. And I'm hoping that you can share some of your insights on how nonprofit leaders, founders, and fundraisers can use AI to build relationships with donors. Happy to do so. Great. So to get to know more about the individuals behind the database record, many times nonprofits do some research. So let's talk a little bit about what research is and how it can be helpful. Absolutely. So prospect research just really allows you to understand who the people you're dealing with and, and more so even how to communicate with them. As we talked about in the last episode, it's no longer good enough to get the right message to the right person. We have to get it to them in the channel that they want to be communicated with and they're most likely to act upon. And so being able to just understand that at a little deeper level is going to allow you to not only resonate with new potential donors, but then really steward most appropriately the donors that you have. I love that. So the aim is to determine whether or not they can donate to your nonprofit and maybe if they'd be inclined to do so and then how much, right? Correct. Okay. So a lot of organizations group their donors by common characteristics. In your opinion, what is the difference between demographics and psychographics and how can nonprofit organizations glean that and use that? Sure. So demographic data is data that it's who you are. You're not changing it, right? It is your gender. It's your age. It's a variety of things that you just don't have an impact on. It's very important data. It's used in marketing on, on a regular basis, both by nonprofits and commercial entities, because it defines who the individual is. Psychographic data tends to be more behavioral data. It is things you could actually change, but it looks at behaviors, affinities, interests, and even opinions. Now, it's that's not something, psychographic data is not something that was really well used until the advent of social media. It started to get a lot more. Very big Fortune 500 companies would use it, um, but it wasn't as, as prevalent and, and frankly as available. What we've tried to do is leverage both because when you look at an organization for 20 plus years now, organizations have really focused on wealth data. And I'm not disparaging wealth prospecting tools. They absolutely have a place in the industry and how they're used. But it has been the only source of kind of, if a person's rich, I'm going to go to them. And the analogy I always like to use is, you know, Kara, if tomorrow you got made ahead of the All Things Apple Foundation, and I gave you 100,000 names of, of people that are potential donors, and Bill Gates was on that list, all the wealth prospecting tools are going to tell you that Bill Gates is your number one prospect. But you and I both know Bill's not going to give you a dime. 
right? So what we want to look at is, do people actually have an affinity for an organization? And so when we started Boodle, we keyed in on that 20-year-old statistic that says that 80% of first-time donors never come back. They come in through the ice bucket challenge, their roommate runs a race, whatever it may be. When we looked at the 20% who do come back, they come back because they have an actual affinity for the cause. And so once you identify that an individual has an affinity, now you can start to use things like a wealth prospecting tool to understand at what level they're at if you're doing major gift fundraising. Or you can start to look at them more holistically and start to pull in both that demographic and psychographic data and understand where they fall. Are they more like a major, are they more like a mid-level donor? Are they more like a monthly recurring donor? Do they look like someone who's going to attend an event gala or maybe be a volunteer? Mm -hmm. And so this gives you a, a little bit deeper insights when you merge the two together. That could really be a good tool in the fundraiser's toolkit because it's linkage, ability, and interest that really are the indicators or whether or not someone is going to donate to your organization. So how does Boodle, I'm going to put you on the spot here, how does Boodle AI pull that information? What would I see about my potential donors if I did a data screening with you? Sure. So what we've done is um, when we started the company, we spent four years, almost $5 million building the platform. Mm -hmm. We didn't want to build the cars that was rolling down the road. We were out in the market every week talking to nonprofit, showing them wireframes and mock-ups to make sure we're building the right product, but we wanted to build the right product. And so Part of what our data team did was we built our own proprietary database of all 240 million adult Americans, and they identified over 1,200 data points that point towards a person's affinity. And so we enriched all 240 million Americans with those 1,200 data points. And what that has allowed us to do is build over 125 instant prediction models. And so those insights are things like the potential to give a certain amount, the affinity towards local causes or children's causes, education levels, uh, likelihood to respond to direct mail or SMS or social media. It's all those things that allow you to understand the donor a little bit better. So as soon as feeding in your donor database, you get a screening of all those 125. Now, the step further you can go is if you have sets of donors you want more of, let's say you've got a set of monthly recurring donors and you want to build up your monthly recurring donor database, you can actually model those individuals using our, our data that we bring in and then apply those models over into your low value donor list, your email, uh, your email donor list, other lists that you may have to understand instead of just spamming that entire list to really narrow in and make a targeted ask to try and get those people to become monthly recurring donors. Wow, all these things really come together to build a picture of a donor and organizations will use that to build out a file for some key donors, um, a donor profile of sorts. What information is best to include in that donor profile? So the information we asked for, knowing that, you know, I've, I've told you in the last episode, I spent over 20 years on nonprofit boards. I knew that nonprofits would say we have very skinny data or messy data. Um, we didn't want data to be an obstacle. So all we need from an organization is a name and an address, whether that's an email address or a postal address. The system is built to not only cater to nascent or, or, or building nonprofits, but also more robust nonprofits where we can also model first party data. And so first-party data that, that nonprofits collect, there's always a debate on what should I get because you never want to have too much of an obstacle to a first-time donor. So you don't want to ask for too much. You want to get them in the door. But then as you build, there are very valuable things that you could collect from your, your donors. One, just as a board member, I always like to see is, hey, try and see if you can get a birth date. Not the year, 
but just see if you can get a birth date because now you can reach out every birthday and just wish them a happy birthday. It's one time a year to reach out to them, not to have to brag on yourself and not to ask for money. And it's no matter what, it's a special time of year for people, right? So if you can capture that at some point, that's great. But then as you go down the list, of course, you want to be able to capture what they've donated in the past, what events they've attended, what they've downloaded. So there's all sorts of information you can capture very slowly around donors. And the more you do, that first party data becomes very valuable information for the development team. So you can use this information in a few different ways then. So whether you're meeting them for the first time or you're designing your donation appeal, whether it's a direct mail or an email or figuring out how to thank them in a meaningful way, you can just build this portfolio so that you're talking to the individual, not the aggregate of the data. So what red flags, if we're talking about donor profiles, what red flags should you be looking for when you're doing prospect research for major gifts or planned gifts or capital campaigns? Does anything specific come to mind? Um, I mean, one of the red flags, and I've always been frustrated by this as a board member long before I started Boodle, was people who will just look at wealth. Okay, this is Mm -hmm. a wealthy person. We're going to go hit them up. Well, not every wealthy person cares about your causes. You know, if if Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos gave to everyone who reached out to them, they wouldn't be the richest people in the world. They have given a lot of money towards organizations that they care about. So really making sure that they combine the wealth understanding and that that knowledge is important, but with a true understanding of what does that individual care about. Um, The other thing is, is how you identify communication. Like it has frustrated me and I'm not disparaging the direct mail space because direct mail definitely has a place. I actually had, when we started Boodle, I had someone, one of my early investors after I gave him the pitch say to me, he's like, so what you're telling me is you've invented the technology. It's going to put direct mail out of business. And I looked at him and I said, if anyone ever tells you you're going to put direct mail out of business, run. Because there's only two things that will put direct mail out of business. The catastrophic failure of the U.S. Postal Service, which I will concede is a possibility, or the 20-something today, you know, becoming 70 because they won't maybe interact with direct mail the way our, our people over 50 do. But the reality is direct mail does work. But what frustrates me is we apply that to everybody and not everybody responds to direct mail. And the fact that we are still happy as nonprofits getting a 1% return on our, our nonprofit mailings and essentially losing money on the mailing we're doing is just egregiously a, a misuse, I think, of donor funds. And so anytime I see, a, hey, we're only going to go out with one way of approaching our donors, whether we're just going to do direct mail, we're just going to do social on Facebook, we're just going to do texting campaigns or email to really save money, you're wasting a lot of opportunity. And so what we really like is to see people who take a, a more dimensional engagement or in the, in the for-profits uh, center, they call it omnichannel approach. So looking at people and how do you engage them across multiple channels and find the right way to engage them most appropriately. That makes so much sense. And then you're boosting your ROI. If you are mailing, you're mailing to the right people who respond well to that channel and you're not wasting money uh, mailing to those who aren't. So you're boosting your ROI on every appeal that you're sending out. So prospecting, is it only for new or potential donors or how can I use this for my existing donor and how should I be doing it? In the commercial space, there is an adage that it is much cheaper to keep a customer than it is to get a new customer. And I think that carries over into the nonprofit space. And so if you're not using prospecting tools to help you with your current donor base and steward them along, you're letting money flow right out the door. And so being able to understand who your current donor database is and engage them most appropriately. One of the biggest challenges we've had in the past couple of years talking to nonprofits 
is that as major gift owners have become younger and younger, we've always engaged, before the pandemic, you engaged a major gift owner in person. If, a, if an executive director walked out of their office and saw their major gift officer asking for a major gift on Zoom, they would have fired them, right? You went out. Now you find out major gift givers actually prefer to be asked on Zoom because now they don't have to get ready, drive 30 minutes to a restaurant, pay for a lunch and sit through an hour and a half and then drive home half an hour. Now in 30 minutes, they can get on a Zoom, they can sit in a pair of shorts and they can write the same check they would have written over that lunch. And time is money. As, as you go through more and engage, what we've been struggling with is engaging your major gift donors as a stewardship process in a communication channel that people aren't comfortable with. So we've identified a series of people who are major gift donors, but typically communicate best on text. Now we're not telling nonprofits you need to ask for money over text, but instead of sending them a direct mail piece they're never gonna open, why not create a 30 second video and every quarter send them a text with this 30 second video. And then in the fourth quarter, when you go back in person or on a Zoom and ask for money, that will have resonated with them all year long versus the three direct mail pieces they threw into the, the recycle. And so it's just really understanding how do you steward those donors to keep them with you so that they don't move. There was a recent study done that said the donors under the age of 45 today, the 45 and older identify with the organization and they really they go with the organization and they stick with it. The 45 and under resonate with the cause. Hmm. And so another organization representing that cause could pull them away. But if they've been stewarded along and they feel that connection, then it's less likely they're going to move. Absolutely. We work with our donor box clients all the time. And the three big messages that I'm sharing this year is that donors are down across the board. Donors are supporting fewer organizations, but yet organizations are competing very loudly across social media and, and through throughout the space. And so how our organizations are really going to stand out is clear, compelling, personalized communications that other organizations are not doing. And that's going to help grow that relationship and give them sustainability, you know, if the economy gets worse or whatever, and, and, and donors are going to have to really make wise decisions on who they're supporting, they might select the ones that are communicating with them really well and making them feel seen and noticed as opposed to those who aren't. So that is really a great way to apply that. Thank you. And Sean, I've really enjoyed our time together. So thank you for helping me understand more about how organizations can get to the right donors with the right message. And I'm really always eager to learn more about how Boodle AI is helping nonprofits. I'm really, really floored by this technology. So thank you for sharing that with us too. Kara, thanks again for having me. I appreciate you having me today. Of course. And thank you to our nonprofit leaders, founders, and fundraisers for choosing to spend time with the Nonprofit Podcast. I hope you've left with the confidence to take a small step today that will make a big difference tomorrow. And don't forget to download and review the podcast or give it a thumbs up if you're listening to the Nonprofit Podcast on YouTube. Your review is a great way to help others find us. You're here to help others. We're here to help you. So until next time, stay inspired. That warm feeling when you help someone, it's not just happiness, it's fulfillment. And we believe it should be available to everyone. From frontline heroes to first-time fundraisers, our tools empower you to help others. This is our mission. This is DonorBox, helping you help others.